Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Josh Norris. Howdy. We're here to talk about the Orioles today. And Josh, something interesting, at least one of the biggest things I took away from this past season was talking to a scout who had Orioles coverage. And what he said to me was, you know, the Orioles system is nowhere near as bad as people think it is. Now, obviously not a a top 10 system, but I think coming into the year, a lot of folks viewed it as as a bottom three, bottom four system. And throughout the year, it became clear talking to evaluators at the pro level that it was actually better than that and that people had been under uh, underestimating some of the prospects in this system. Well, right. I mean, I'm sure not too many people had Austin Hayes real high on their radars coming into the year. I mean, third round pick, I believe, out of Jacksonville, um, coming to his first full pro year. And, you know, it, not, third round pick, enough something to watch. But uh, I didn't think we expected him to go from Frederick to Bowie to the major leagues no question. this year. No question. I, I look at this top six put together by John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun. And you look at Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, Chance Sisko, Hunter Harvey, D.L. Hall, Tanner Scott. That's a top six. That's definitely nothing to shake your head at. A better top six than, than quite a few organizations out there, including their own division. Certainly a better top six than the Red Sox have. Mm-hmm. I, just overall, I, I do think the Orioles system as a whole is, is better than public perceptions have been. And a lot of that is Austin Hayes and his addition and his ascent. But even guys who are already in the system, Mount Caskell, Cisco, Tanner Scott, took steps forward in, in various ways. Yeah, I mean, Mount Castle has long been what we thought he's, he's going to be, is a hitter, um, a suspect on defense. Uh, certainly not, I mean, I think internally for years they've said he's not a shortstop. Um, I guess there's, there's trying him at third base now. I wouldn't be surprised if his def, if his uh, likely destination is left field or first base, but you know he played third base in the fall league. But what's going to get him there is his bat, and he's he looks like he's got the makings of a potential premium bat. You know the Orioles as a whole. I think we talk about their system and some of the guys in there, and, and clearly they're a major league team that has some holes right now. But you look at it, and again, there's different contracts, uh, and, and seeing how long these guys will be in Orioles uniforms. But you see Jonathan Scope, Manny Machado, Trey Mancini. You can add Austin Hayes to that after getting there last year. On the pitching side, Dylan Bundy, Kevin Gaussman, uh, Michael Given, Zach Britton. There is a homegrown core there, both position players and pitchers, but filling in those gaps is, is where they've had some struggles, particularly on the pitching side, specifically toward to last year. I mean, I still am amazed by this fact about Hunter Harvey. He's been in our he's, the 2013 draft. He's been in five straight handbooks, never lower than number four, and has never pitched a game above low Class A. That speaks to A, the quality of past uh, Orioles systems, and B, the quality of his stuff. Yeah. If he clicks, you know, we, we learned the lesson of Dylan Bundy, who spent, uh, I don't know, half his life on the DL, it seems like coming up in the minor leagues, uh, but he still had the knockout stuff. And Hunter Harvey remains to be seen if he still has that, but he, if he does, if he has, has the stuff we think he still does, that he could wind up in the major league sooner rather than later if he just stays healthy. So we talk about those pitchers, Hunter Harvey 4, D.L. Hall 5, Tanner Scott 6, Cody Sedlock, their first rounder a year ago, struggled. He's at 7. And look, let's just be frank. The Orioles need pitching. They need lots of it, and they need it to come quick. All these guys, Tanner Scott got into the upper minors. but he all got these the majors. Guys, uh, you're right. He got a, he got a, he got a, a stint there. Uh, I feel like, though, you know, a lot of the starting pitching – it's guys who are two years away, especially with Harvey and his health. What do you think the Orioles can do to supplement and get their pitching staff 
just better because it has to be. They, you know, they were one of the better teams in the American League for a number of years. They've fallen off. Now they're losing Chris Tillman to free agency, and not that he had a great year. They've got to get some arms there quick, and I'm not sure I see a path for them to get them there quick. Well, I don't know if you've heard about this this offseason, but there's a lot of really good <laughs> pitchers out there for the taking. Yes. All it would take is Peter Angelos and co. opening their wallets to go get to some of these guys. Alex Cobb is out there for the taking. You, Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn. You Darvish is out there for the taking. Um, that's there, how you get a, your There's pitch. a good group of pitch, and that's where I think, and, and that's sort of what I was trying to lead into here, is that the Orioles, I think you can look at their position player group. Obviously, Machado's a fridge, and after this year, we'll see who that goes. But just in general and say, hey, we have guys who can help us now. You know, Ryan Mountcastle got to A last year. Went to the Fall League, shows the bat will play. I I like where the Orioles are position player-wise. On the pitching side, I think they are going to have to supplement with free agency. Even if Hunter Harvey and D.L. Hall hit their ceilings and Tanner Scott becomes that bona fide relief ace and Cody Sedlock has a bounce-back year, even that best-case scenario, it's still not going to be enough. They need more, and that's where I think you do have to go get some free agent help. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And then, of course... We can also start uh, in the in the draft this year. We have, we have a top two hundred, I believe, up draft we prospects. Do. And the Orioles will have uh, you know a decent pick as well. So we'll see how it goes. But I want to dive into some news prospects real quick. So Austin Hayes, we talked about it. Third round pick, twenty sixteen, first member of that draft class to get to the majors. Shot through high A, double A, into the majors at the end of this year. You know, we've talked about in the office a bit how Austin Hayes fell. And on the BA 500, he was about 40 spots higher than where he was taken. This wasn't a no-name guy. People knew him. People liked him. You know, I think it's one of those things where sometimes people get obsessed with profile. Oh, corner bat. Well, in reality, skills are skills. Impact is impact. This guy demonstrated impact his entire his entire final year at Jacksonville. But he, but he fits the profile. He fits the corner outfield but, profile. But I'm saying I think we say, oh, corner outfielder, we're going to drop him 20 spots. When in reality, you should look at the skills of a player, not just throw them into a profile bucket. The profile is important, but skills are more important. And there are, you you know, we talk about profile, profile. The two rating MVPs last year were a right fielder and a second baseman. People overall obsess well, over, I but, want the up-the-middle guy. And, and Judge has played some center uh, field. He, well, Altuve never played well, shortstop. Well, Judge hasn't played center field as a pro. But, but, but college, he did right, a little right, right. bit. Well, what I'm saying is, I mean, Judge... Uh, fits the right field profile to an absolute T. Right, and I'm saying that's not a bad thing. So you look at Austin Hayes, who has shown the ability to play center, but just because he fit a corner profile, I think we've seen it. We see it again and again. Yeah, I mean... Skill, skills above all, talent above all, and Austin, Hills, Austin Hayes has shown he has the talent to succeed no matter what position yeah, he Yeah, and Austin Hayes, to. part of the reason like he didn't... Uh, he moved into right field. I mean, part of that's his own defensive um, skills, which are not bad. But Cedric Mullins are, are better in center field. Right. And in the major leagues, Adam Jones. So the, the general are, sense are is could Austin Hayes, if you need him to play center field, could he do it without embarrassing himself? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of roster construction, right field is probably just a better fit. Right. Um, I think my favorite thing about Austin Hayes is that in Frederick and Bowie this year, he, his numbers were almost identical, in almost an identical sample. It's almost eerie. How close they were because I did the Carolina League and the Eastern League for the uh, the top twenties this year, and I was like, I feel like I'm typing in, I feel like I'm making a mistake here because these are almost exactly the same. So, given his enormous production this year, finals for Baseball America Player of the Year, reached the majors, did everything you could ever want a prospect to do, 
the scouts bought in, you know, everyone. What are some of the things you think could hamstring him having done some of the digging on him in the Carolina League, in the Eastern League, and also you have a lot of scouts with Orioles coverage you talk to. What What's something that could hold him back from being, you know, the superstar that I think a lot of people are thinking he may now have a chance to be? I mean, it's the same as everyone else. Uh, if he gets to the major leagues and uh, stays in the major leagues, and the pitchers up there find a hole, then they can then they can exploit it. I mean, it's it's major league pitchers are that good is what it, is what it comes down to. And you know, now that we've got advanced scouting and uh, all all that and video, um, it's much easier these days to find a hole and spread that information quicker than it hasn't been in past years. So. I don't think I think all the tools are there for him to be an above average regular. I don't know about superstar, but a very 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 good player for years to come. I think they big big credit to to their scouting director. They found one. You know, I think one of the big things with him has been the aggressiveness of his approach, which has helped him jump on fastballs, crush them. The ability for him to adapt that aggressiveness to secondaries, as, as John wrote, that's just something that's going to come with time because a big league curveball is a different animal than a double A curveball, but. You know, as, as we've talked about a lot, power, defense, he mashes left-handers. Even if, you he's know... He's got some speed, too. He's got some speed. I think one of those home runs in the big leagues was inside the parker. You know, even even if he, you know, for whatever reason, it just doesn't, doesn't end up all clicking, there's still a role there for him. And, yeah. and I think the Orioles are in really good shape. Uh, I remember at the winter meetings just talking with Buck Showalter during media availability a little bit. Uh, you know, I think they do want to get him some AAA time this year. Just, you know, the September call-up. But, you know, you look at the the outfield right now. Is there a clear, hey, this guy's going to start for us on day one? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But in reality, there's no reason to push it. I think the idea is let's get get him to Norfolk. Let him, let him just adapt and mash at that level. Buy some time on the ARB clock. And then maybe make a move later in the year. Would, would you like to see him at Norfolk? I mean, selfishly, yes. <laughs> because I only saw him. Frederick a couple games while he was there and we could use some better video of him but that's about it I mean if if he produces enough to win that spot go ahead put him put him there I mean it's the American League East you're dealing with like you said the Red, uh, the Red Sox are going to be pretty good this year you think the Yankees are going to be pretty good this year uh, the Blue Jays and the Rays maybe but I mean it wouldn't be out of the question for the Orioles to hit their way to a second wild card or something like that. And as we've seen, you know, it really takes 84, 85 wins, at least last year, uh, did to get that second wild card spot. We'll see. And I do think at the end of the day, Austin Hayes will play a role for them at the major league level this year. It's just a matter of, hey, is he your, you know, opening day right fielder? Uh, now that Seth Smith is a free agent, uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see how he performs in camp. But, but I think the expectation is he'll at least get a little bit of time down in Norfolk. Ryan Mountcastle's another guy, you know, big bat. Uh, I think everyone who has seen him hit has liked what they've seen. <sighs> He's interesting to me because, you know, we talk about Austin Hayes, also this tremendous bat, but he can play right field for you. He can play some center field if you need him to. There, there's not really a question of hemming and hawing, oh, man, where is this guy going to really play for us? You know, Mountcastle, when I saw him, I got a good look at him at the fall league. First of all, the guy has the re- reactions and reflexes for third base. He has the glove. Saw him make some plays diving both his left and his right. There's no question he has the glove footwork reflexes for it. His arm is one of the worst arms I have seen in professional baseball in a long time. Um, And it's not just the strength, it's the action. And it's just a problem where there's no strength, there's no carry. I mean, he does not make throws you have to make. 
There's a lot there where I really sit there and say, I don't even know if it's enough arm for left field. Are you trying to hit a cutoff man off a double in the gap? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's below average. I'm. I'm oh, it's well. It's. Yeah, a, it's yeah, I'm not going to. Not going to. Not going to crush him. But scouts are. Scouts have given him a 30 grade arm, and that is the kind scouting report. What you do there to to try and mitigate that if he's well, you, you, if you get him in a throwing D. program. Well, it's a throwing program, but you, but I you think work on his mechanics. You, and and we'll and you can fix footwork, you can fix mechanics, you can fix throwing program. But there's also look at a certain point, guys throw how they throw, and you can mess with arm actions like you know, pitchers a little bit. But th- there doesn't seem to be a lot of faith in his ability to. I mean, that's player development. Develop the player. And that's, but again, we know this is not a. This is a guy who's been player development for a while now, and I think there's a certain point we can talk about player development. But there's also a certain limit guys can hit. There's certain skills guys, their natural abilities allow them to tap into, and others there's not. So I just. I mean, I've look, seen the same throws you have. Where I'll tell 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 this story. It was right near the trade deadline, and I was watching the game that I saw Forrest Whitley in. I think it was the same game, and he made a throw that. I don't think got to the first base dirt. And so the manager pulled him. And I didn't, you know, normally you tweet, oh, prospect gets pulled during game near trade deadline, hashtag hug watch. I didn't even want to tweet that because I know that it wasn't for a trade. It was just, you got to make a better throw than that. So, and the flag, and look, there's guys in all positions, hey, there's times the ball slips out of their hand. You know, everyone everyone has bad throws. It's, yes, it happens. We've seen him on all the blooper reels with Mel Allen. Um, but it's a problem when it, consistently happens so I you know he's tough for me um look you see impact with the bat there is a little bit of you know aggressiveness there uh last year's 96 strikeouts 17 walks which you know is obviously not the ratio you want to see but look I, I do think Ryan Mountcastle is a is a good prospect uh we have him top 100 that dropped yesterday I, I think that Orioles fans should be excited about what he can bring with the bat uh, he's still young. You know, he was 20 years old, got to AA last year. He turns 21 uh, in mid-February, right about the time they report to camp. So there's youth, there's time. I just, there's enough concerns for me about the quality of his arm that I don't I don't know where it fits. Again, even left field, I'm thinking ball in the corner, he has to go hit the cutoff man. I mean, the shortstop's going to get, shortstop's going to get way up the left field line. It, it creates a problem. So I... We'll see how much stronger it can get and just how much they rework it because it needs a total overhaul, and I don't know if you can get it to where it needs to be. So I I don't know. Again, I, I struggle with it. The scouts I've talked to struggle with it because you like him. You like what he has to offer. You say maybe we can work with it. But in the grand scheme of optimism, I, I have not sensed a lot. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned he's 20 years old so or soon to be 21. He's not in his man's body yet. He's not fully developed as a human being yet so we'll see i mean it's it's well below average but i'm not going to give up the faith that he can he can look, he look can and, and i want i want to just be frank here this sounds like a, i've crushed ryan mountcastle if i'm a player development you know it, what i want ryan mountcastle in my system absolutely absolutely you see the bat you see the ability to you know some reflexes some athleticism uh in the dirt these are all good things you absolutely say yeah i want that guy just in terms of long-term projection, how it ends up, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit of a mystery to me. Um, you know, another guy that was previously number one in this system dropped this year to number three, who has had a different type of questions about his arm is Chance Cisco. Um, you know, I my old job actually covered Chance in high school, and it was funny because at that time, he could always hit, 
And he had a fantastic arm, but his receiving, blocking, all that needed work because he didn't start catching until his senior year of high school. It was going to take time. Then throughout the minors, you know, I remember doing a feature on him early. It was like, hey, we like his throwing. Just needs to really, in the blocking, receiving, all that's coming along. It'll, it'll just be a process. Last year, we saw him in AAA, and the blocking, receiving defense got better. We saw improvement, but the throwing has gone way backwards. How do you kind of assess Chance Sisko at this point? Yeah, I'm not as high on Chance Sisko as a lot of others. I've gotten some pretty negative reviews on him as a defender even this year. I'm with you on the throwing arm, too. It's 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 not even necessarily a case of the arm strength. It's, it's the it's footwork. It's the footwork. It's the transition. It's all that stuff that can be fixed. Um, but as one scout pointed out to me in – not not really talking about chance at all. Just there's not a lot of real great defensive catchers in the in the major leagues. You don't have to be Yadi Molina or you know Wilson Contreras or whoever to be in the major leagues. You can Lord be. Lord knows there's you some can be, uh, uh, pretty poor catchers out you there. You can be Gary Sanchez, and you've got to hit like Gary Sanchez to be in the major leagues. I'm not. I'm. I'm very interested to see what kind of impact Cisco's bat has in the major leagues. I mean, I. I can buy him hitting for a decent average, and we'll see what the, the baseballs do to him. <laughs> but And playing at Camden Yards will do to him. But I, I don't, I've never seen the big-time power from him. Well, and, and I think with him, it's he'll show you flashes of it. We saw the yeah. opposite field home run the Futures game. Yeah, I remember seeing him go <laughs> opposite field sometimes in high school as well with uh, Santiago High School down in Corona. Uh, you know, I, I think with him, you talk about it's more of a smooth left-handed swing. And so for me, it's something where, you know, and you hear every evaluator from here to Timbuktu says there's no catching, there's no catching, there's no catching. They're talking about both defensively and offensively. I mean, the Orioles here, I'm just looking at their 30. They've got two of the top 30. That's that's a wealth. Right. Austin Wins is known as a very good defensive catcher. So I, for me, I think Chance Sisko, look, if you're a left-handed hitter who can, you know, consistently make solid contact get that 270 with a bunch of doubles, they'll find a spot for you. The defense, again, needs to keep improving. But I don't know. I take some faith in, look, is this, does any evaluator out there project Chance Cisco to grow into a gold glove defender? No. But if he keeps getting better and, and improving, as he did last year, he's still 22. He got his first taste of the majors last year, popped a couple home runs in limited action. I do think there is absolutely a route there for, you know, five years from now, if we look up and Chance Sisko is, is starting 110 games for the Orioles behind the plate, I will not be shocked. It will take work to get there, but I, I still see him as, as a very, very viable potential everyday catcher. I mean, it's 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 possible. It's going to take a little bit of time. The one thing I do know that that when, he, uh, when, when catchers usually don't have the block or receive in the major leagues, one thing they usually do have is the bazooka arm, or I'm sure JJ will correct me on what type of artillery that should be, but uh, he doesn't have that either. Again, so a lot of it's footwork. I think I think once he gets the footwork, you know, and John Mioli, again, our uh, intrepid uh, contributor from the Baltimore Sun, pointed out the second half of last year, Cisco threw out 41% of base stealers. That raised his entire season average to 22.6. But again, you start saying, okay, again, it's it's – the baby progressions that you just need to see and want to see. And catching, an aside here, judging catchers caught stealing percentage in the minors as a, as a, as a factor of their arm because the pitchers don't know how to hold runners just yet. Sometimes those runners are stolen or those bases are stolen on the pitcher and you can't tell by just looking at the, you know, going to B-Ref and looking at the caught stealing lines. I do think 
overall. I'm not, I'm, trying to, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to deflate your point. I'm just trying to, as an aside here, for all catchers. I will, I will say, AAA, they're certainly better than they are in the low minors. Well, that's yes, for sure. yes, yes, I <laughs> um, hope. So, you know, those are the three top 100 guys. And, and all three of them, I think, are our firm top 100 guys. They're in our top 75. You know, we get to that next group. Uh, you know, Hunter Harvey, we've talked a little bit about it. Just staying healthy. I mean, all the things you want to see in terms of, you know, frames, stuff. I mean, just to give you a taste, when he did get on a mound last year, 0.96 ERA, 30 strikeouts, 6 walks in 19 innings, up to 97, downhill angle. Uh, and you see you see a really strong curveball, a changeup, you know, with some potential. It's all there. You just health. I remember I saw him in 2014 in person, and I feel like I've seen a unicorn um, at this point. But he was nasty that day. He struck out, I want to say, eight Lakewood Blue Claws. And, you know, throw that fastball, I want to say it was 96, 97 that day with, you know, the, the knee buckler curveball and the changeup that had, it was okay. It wasn't great, but you could see the makings. And if he had stayed healthy the next, wow, it's almost four years now, um, you know, you could see him being in the major leagues in some role. But he's still, it sounds like that stuff is still all there. And some of these injuries have been freak injuries too. Um, so I wouldn't even, I don't even know what to do with him at this point, but think he he's got to follow that Dylan Bundy path and if he's good you know he'll he'll be a rotation piece you know we have DL Hall who was our first round pick this year signed for three million you know struggled in his debut 10 walks and 10 to third innings but first you know first run after signing I think we'll get a better view of him at Delmarva but there's definitely you know left-handed pitcher who is able to get into the mid-90s there's definitely a, a big uh, ceiling there. I think a lot of people uh, pre-draft liked him, you know, at the level of, of one of the top pitchers in, in the draft. Obviously not Hunter Green, Mackenzie Gore, but still, you know, a premium talent. You know, I want to get your feeling on Tanner Scott uh, and just what you think he can be uh, moving into the major leagues. Okay, so one of my scouts is maybe a bigger fan of Tanner Scott than his agent or parents. <laughs> and as soon as his outing in the Futures game ended, he texted me. Do you see? Do you see? Yes, I see. I mean, we, we all know the stuff is real. It's fastball. It's from the left side up to 100 and something miles an hour. Uh, I've seen it up to 100 miles an hour in the fall league. Uh, the the um, the curveball, the, the, curve the, the breaking ball is, is nasty too. And they keep, you know, working him in a, uh, a relief ace type of role, which by which we mean he's... Um, working multiple innings, sometimes as a, usually as a starter. So he'll be a starter and he'll go three innings, which doesn't mean they want him to be in a starter's role long-term necessarily, but they want him to be, you know, an Andrew Miller type, who you can bring in in like the sixth or something in or the seventh and bring him in for the seventh, eighth, night, like the old school closer um, who would, you know, do multiple innings. And that's how you develop that. You get him in at starting, uh, starting things, you develop stamina and multiple situations, runners on, clean bases, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I kind of see him, we saw how the Astros used maybe Chris Davinsky last year, a couple of those three-inning, four-inning stints. That's how I see Tanner Scott, you know, potentially working out with the Orioles. Um, it was interesting. We saw him in the Futures game. He was absolutely nasty. We saw him in the Fall League. And when I went out the week I saw him in the Fall League, it was the very end, and he... You know, the first, you know, first outing was 96, second outing was 94, third outing down to 92. So some fatigue had set in. He struggled there at the end of the fall league, but it's big league arm. The slider's gotten better. You know, we'll see. So, you know, we've talked about Tanner Scott, and, and I think that he's the guy of all these arms. We'll see with Baltimore um, sooner rather than later this year. 
Once we get down to that next group, you know, Cody Sedlock was a guy who's the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, first rounder, came in this year. It just was not good. Uh, 5.9 ERA, 69 strikeouts in 90 innings, didn't miss bats, had got health hit, injuries, health issues. What was your overall sense on, on Cody Sedlock and just where he stands as a prospect talking to everyone you did this year? I mean, he wasn't really in the conversation for Carolina League top uh, top 10 or top 20. Um it's basically what you said. He's, it's a mulligan year. It's a gap year. It's this isn't the guy that we drafted. You know, he's hopefully he's fully healthy this year because he did deal with I want to say some elbow dings, um, and if he comes back strong this year, maybe you see the real guy. Because otherwise, I don't I don't know what to do with him. Yeah, no, it's it's. I'd be interesting to see. Do you send him back to the Carolina League for the Orioles? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, depending on. What the depth chart looks like is uh, if you have five guys that need to move up to the Carolina League, you may keep him in, in you may move him to Bowie, but I, on merit, I would send him back to Carolina. You know, speaking of pitchers who you know have some prospect status, the numbers weren't great. Chris Lee, you know, we saw him, he came out to Durham, he had a day where you're saying, wow, that is a big league arm, and he's throwing enough strikes to make it work. But over the course of the season, obviously, it didn't happen despite you know, big velocity. Uh, definitely some, uh, some 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 movement on his secondary pitches that Triple A hitters at least were, were struggling with. Eighty three strikeouts in one hundred sixteen innings, five point one one ERA, you know, fifty four walks. What's your overall thoughts on Chris Lee as a pitcher? I mean, it's the same as Hunter Harvey. He needs to stay healthy. He's had so many shoulder dings. I, I feel like I've been reading about him as the sleeper or the one to watch in our order boards for five years now. And the same scout who's on me about Tanner Scott is on me about Chris Lee sometimes. The stuff is undeniable when he's healthy. You know, 97 whatever from the left side with some nasty off-speed stuff. He just needs to stay healthy and, and you know, get some more innings under his belt. It's not... He did go 116 innings this year. To me, you know, it's the guy where you say, okay, this electric stuff, let's see if it'll work for an inning or two. I think there's definitely a big league arm there. Whether, you know, do you trust him to throw enough strikes, you know... 18 batters a game, 20 batters a game, or actually to get 20 out, 18 to 20 outs a game, I should say, every five days over the course of an entire season? Probably not at this point. So, But I do think there's a big league arm there, and I think the Orioles will see both you know him and Tanner Scott coming out to help out of the bullpen this year. And look, you know, Zach Britton comes back to full health. They have those two power arms to the left side. Can make life pretty miserable on left-handed hitters in the American League East. The, the one, we can keep talking about pitchers, but um, the one I wanted to talk to was um, Nestor Cortez, whether it was a Rule 5 yeah, pick. So this is, this is a guy that you, you feel is, is a potential sleeper, and obviously a guy. They've made a couple Rule 5 picks, Anthony Santander last year, Nestor Cortez this year. Right. What's been your overall, uh, what have you heard on Nestor Cortez? So if you know from other podcasts, I do the Yankees system as well, and he wouldn't make the Yankees 30 because the Yankees 30 is crazy, but Nestor Cortez... He he might literally be Vidal Nuno. I think that's if you remember Vidal Nuno, he's still I think he's still with in the major league somewhere. Um, he was a left-hander who does and still is a left-hander who did not have the best stuff in the world. And by the way, Vidal Nuno is the majors, but it was with the Orioles last year, and it was twelve games and a ten point four three ERA. So you might not be exciting Orioles fans that much. Well, here's what he is. <laughs> Here, here's what the guy is. Um, he's he's got. Like a, a four pitch mix, I believe. He's got the ability to throw strikes and get outs, and he's got a pair of brass ones. 
he it, it's not the best stuff in the world, but he will attack the strike zone. And in the minor leagues, he has just gotten out. You knew going into the Rule 5 draft that he was going to be taken. I didn't know by whom, but you knew it was going to happen. And, you know, this could be a guy who's uh, maybe a fifth starter if you squint, but he's going to be a guy who I expect to get, I expect to make the team, and I expect him to get out to the big league level. He's not sexy or anything, but he's just gotten out. And I've seen him. I saw him this year in Trenton. I believe he ticked 95, so it's not like it's an 89-91 mile an hour fastball that I did see him with when he was with Pulaski a couple years ago. But I'm very interested to see what happens with Nestor. You know, the Orioles, we talk about all these arms, and, and they need it. There are some promising bullpen guys. We, we talked about the guys I mentioned earlier. You know, Gabrielle, you know, came up last year and, and did some okay things for them in, in a limited time and, you know, even made a couple starts for them. Um, you know, Miguel Castro is another 22-year-old. Didn't miss a ton of bats, but ultimately kept runs off the board and allowed less than a hit in inning, and that's what it's all about. So I do think there are bullpen arms there where you can help say, okay, let's shorten the game a little bit, especially if Tanner Scott can grow into that two, three, four inning type of relief role. Um, it's interesting. I think there there is there is a chance here the Orioles can, can get some help on that end of things this year. You know, looking through this system, is there anyone that you feel like is a, uh, a sleeper, a guy that you think, you know, could eventually be someone that, that is much higher on these lists and ultimately making an impact in the major leagues? There's two names. Um, it's a personal kind of, uh, I don't want to say a cheese ball at this point, but I saw him one day, and I really loved him. I haven't seen him since because he's been injured. But Joe Marais, I love that dude. I get he's a big boy. I get he's probably going to have to move to first base. But, man, I saw him attack, and in retrospect, this isn't a great name to talk about, Tyler Kolek. Um, but he was throwing, you know, 97, 98 that day, and he was turning on it and ripping it down the line like it was 87. There's bat speed. There's whip. There's power. There's... It's a very intriguing bat. You know, Reyes really struggled a year ago at Fredwick, Frederick. Came back this year, hit much better. It was only 50 games. Yeah, he, struck, I think but, he had a broken wrist or something. You know, but 302, 333, 434. You know, still 20 years old. It's not like this is a guy who's 23, still in A-ball. No, he's not going to be on AARP anytime soon. You know, he's, he's turning 21 in February. So, yeah, he's an interesting guy. You know, another guy you, you talked about doing the league top 20s. You know, DJ Stewart was a first-round pick. Went out to Double A, hit very well this year. What was the overall sense on him? You know, he's gotten a lot better. Um, he, one of the things with him, if I remember correctly, because the stance at Florida State was interesting. Um, it was you know a deep squat with a really like board stiff front leg, and I don't know how he was planning to hit like that. He did it at Florida State, but um, I know there were uh, conversations within the organizations about you know, changing that stance. He would go back to one, he'd pick the other. And eventually they've got him to a, a regular stance, and he performed this year. I think he was one of, like, f- two or three players in the minor leagues to have double digits in home runs, stolen bases, RBIs, and outfield assists. There, there, he was, he's part of a very elite group of, of guys who had a very weird uh, stat line. But he's, you know, he, he performed really well. He made the, I believe he made my Eastern League top 20. Know your beat. Um, but he, um, he's another guy who, who could wind up in the major leagues. You saw, you saw Park 26 doubles, 21 home runs. You saw stole, you know, 20 stolen bases. There is. Walk to strikeout was good. 87 strikeouts, 65 walks. You know, again, it's a guy with pedigree. It's a first rounder, major college program. I, I think sometimes guys like that 
have a so-so first year. They don't show a lot of tools and, and kind of fall off the wayside. But before you know it, they're in the upper minors and playing pretty well. I remember once, um, another fun behind the, the BA stories, I was going to go see a different guy in Winston-Salem, but John Manuel, who's now with the Twins, told me, why don't you go see Luke Weaver in Florida State against um, Wake Forest, You know, right at the same, same ballpark. So I went and saw them, and what I really wanted to see that day was Jameis Winston closer. <laughs> And it was, we, were, we were right there. It was like a one-run game in the eighth. But DJ Stewart had to go and open it up with some triple or double down the line to bring in a bunch of runs. And Jameis sat down. And now the next time I'll see Jameis is, uh, you know, playing for Tampa Bay Bucks. <laughs> if, I go, if I go to spring training in the Tampa side this year, I'll get to look at his home from the Yankees' backfields at Steinberg because you can see uh, Raymond James right <laughs> over their fences. Yeah, hey, clo- close calls. You yeah, can, uh, tell DJ Stewart. You know, one guy that <laughs> is interesting to me uh, is Cameron Bishop. Uh, he's a, you can get your Baseball America prospect handbook. He uh, was a third, uh, excuse me, a twenty sixth round pick this year for the Orioles, but he was considered a third round talent. I mean, this was a guy who went into the year considered one of the best left handed starting pitching prospects on the West Coast. Got hurt, uh, preseason bullpen uh, oblique injury. He just sat, held out, didn't pitch at all. Uh, just then the Orioles drafted him kind of you know we talk about there's no such thing as draft and follow anymore but there was a you know a little bit of you know he was able to go out into the Cape and that was something where draft him see how he performs the Cape Cod League what he looks like performed well then everything happened with the the signing of uh, one of their other picks freed up some money they gave Cameron Bishop you know high you know I think third or fourth round money and so in reality he's a 26 rounder who's really a third rounder went out Debut, you know, it was only you know thirty-seven two-thirds innings, 0.72 ERA. I mean, this is a guy who you talk about size, you talk about stuff, uh, pedigree. He was drafted out of high school, was out of major college program at UC Irvine. You know, this is a guy that I think the context is is what enhances the profile when you see oh 26 round pick. You're not going to think much, but when you take into account, well, he's actually a top hundred talent who just got hurt, had to show he could still pitch in the Cape, did that, signed and then dominated early in his pro career, I think there's a lot to like there. Yeah, I mean, he's another guy that you're going to add to your stable of interesting arms in your lower Interesting mind. left-handers. The, yes, the more we talk about this, the more you realize a lot of interesting left-handers. Not to mention yeah, you got one, two, a- three, Alex Wells' uh, strike and, thrower extraordinaire. Yeah, he's Iron Mike. I mean, it's pretty much what he is, and I'll be interested to see what he does uh, this year at probably double A, right? No, uh, uh High A. He'll come up to well, at least we'll start the year in Frederick. If he uh, if he pitches similarly, I, I think we'll see him in Double A uh, sooner rather than later. 113 strikeouts, 10 walks in 140 innings. But that's still not my man Ranger Suarez from a couple of years ago in the DSL. I think it was 87 strikeouts in one walk. That is impressive. That is incredibly <laughs> impressive. But uh, you know, overall, look, you, you like the Orioles group of position players. I think you definitely see some left-handers in particular that you can you know project you know helping the big league club out in some form or fashion this is not a bad system which is just to you know bring it back to the to the beginning uh we've seen the orioles now obviously they they have no interest in the international market which you know does hurt their overall depth uh and ultimately is is you know shutting off a any pipeline of talent and just saying no to any of it is going to leave you a little short but at the end of the day just looking at the system right now Again, we heard it throughout the year that, hey, the Orioles system is not as bad as people say it is. And I think you can look at it and say, yeah, there, there's definitely talent here. This is not a bottom four, bottom five system. Um, there's there, some guys we didn't mention that 
um, are interesting to me, at least. I mean, I, I saw Ofelki Peralta. I mean, he had a terrible year, if I remember numbers-wise, but the stuff was really good. Um, Adamar Rafaela, I'm sure I ruined that, but um, he was at the top of a lot of Carolina League leaderboards this year and, you know, was in the discussion for, like, the very back of the top 20 in the Carolina League. I think he won that league's MVP. Guys, he's a little fire hydrant-looking dude, but he can hit. Um, Keegan Aikens, a left with some stuff. Austin Wins is a heck of a defensive catcher. There's guys I think we've, here. I think we've touched on pretty much everyone in the 30. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jeffrey Ramirez, another uh, – he was a trade piece when the Yankees were stockpiling money for Interna- – Right, the uh, Orioles giving us uh, – trading international bonus pool space was a, uh, a very popular uh, popular move for them this year. Yeah, and he's you – know, he had some really nice, uh, really nice year in the Eastern League this year, and he – jumps out on a lot of track man sort of things as a guy with a big-time spin rate, which is why he gets swings and misses on his fastball. I know the Yankees, um, the reason they selected him in the minor league rule five a couple of years ago was because one of their analytics guys who's now with the Marlins, you know, he played uh, track man bingo with him, and everything uh, came up came up green light. And they took him, and he you know was really, really decent. I won't say really, really good, but very good at Trenton this year and Bowie as well. Absolutely. Well, we'll uh, see how these Orioles uh, youngsters continue to grow and if they can get the big league club back to the playoffs. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for tuning in. And make sure to pick up the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, baseballamerica.com slash store on sale now. Get all 30 Orioles prospect write-ups from John Mioli. And Plus if you one order more. from us, you get a supplement with an extra prospect, or organization talent rankings, position rankings. It's all in there. It's Make sure to get your Janu- coffee. It's January 22nd today. Which 23rd. 23rd today. It'll probably be here soon. Absolutely. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.